Hello and welcome to the Around the Nation podcast for the week of Monday, December 16th, 2013. I'm Pat Coleman. And I'm Keith McMillan. And so, yeah, we played through another 15 weeks of Division Three football, and we ended up with the same result we did uh, seven of the previous eight years. And we will see Mount Union and the University of Wisconsin-Whitewater in the Stag Bowl, each of them surviving one-point games on Saturday in the national semifinals with North Central uh, falling to Mount Union 41-40 to and Mary Hart and Baylor falling to Whitewater 16-15. Keith, uh, so many things that we could uh, start with. Uh, there's the, you know, the annual, now annual, basically storyline that, uh, you know, that this is a boring matchup and not so good for Division Three. I wanted to talk about the fact that uh, in a year where we thought the top six were really balanced, we got semifinals that really bore that out. Uh, obviously, one of them, uh, the one you were at, completely snowed under by the elements, um, but the other, a, uh, you know, played straight up on a great surface in a great stadium. And either way, I think we were headed for a close game in both of those games, no matter what the conditions were. Well, yeah, we, we picked some some pretty close games. And I guess if you just looked at the two scores, you would figure the 16-15 game would have been the snow game. But actually, that was the one uh, down in Texas between the, the two bruising teams. And we got, I think, the game that we expected between uh, Mary Harden Baylor and, and Whitewater. Uh, you know, you didn't see the team spreading the field and throwing it up and down the field. It was it was two teams, you know, lining up and, and throwing to their tight ends and running it up the middle and playing great defense. And, and that was a, you know, a game that came down to the very end and, and what probably will be remembered as a questionable decision. And then up in Ohio, you got the game that uh, even though the, the, the surface had snow on it, and there was snow falling during the entire game. You got the, the, the two high-powered offenses, the great quarterbacks going up and down the field. North Central scores within the final two minutes, gives up a touchdown 31 seconds later, and then, and then gets the ball back and, and, and drives down the field and has a shot to win it. Uh, you know, Just outside of field goal range, so they, they couldn't kick, and they'd have been having kicking problems all day, so that was less of an option than it was. Really was an exciting game. I, I was there, obviously, so I, I felt the, the atmosphere was, uh, was, was electric. It was a game for the ages, as far as I'm concerned, you know, the, the snow being a big part of it, but also the way it, it went down in the final minutes. There was a point when North Central scored in the final two minutes um, where, where I think a lot of people in the stadium – uh, I, or I may, I, maybe I'll just speak for myself and say, well, you know, North Central's really going to beat Mountain Union. They're going to win here. And then you realize there's a minute 38 left on the clock. And I'm standing next to guys from the, I think the chain crew, and they're Mountain Union guys. And one guy says, I have total faith in Burke in this situation. And then I started to realize, yeah, they did leave a lot of time on the clock. Yeah. And, and it turns out that they, you know, they, Mountain Union didn't even need the whole minute 38. They went right down the field and scored. So, it was just an amazing weekend. You couldn't ask for more as far as the semifinals are concerned, uh, unless you were one of those people who were dying to see someone else uh, win the two games. But you had one team with a, uh, a third down pass dropped in the end zone. That would have been the game-winning touchdown or, or could have been the game-winning touchdown. And you had another team that scored the game-winning touchdown and, and couldn't defend it in the final two minutes. So Certainly, the rest of Division Three has churned out teams that are, are good enough to beat Mount Union and Whitewater and, and are worthy of going to the Stag Bowl. And they just, you know, I don't think there's a theme or a reason why they're, they're not able to get it done. You just have to look at the, the individual games and say, 
you know, we, Mary Harden Baylor came up point short, nor, and North Central came up point short. Yeah, I think if you're a fan of one of those teams, uh, or you know, a coach of one of those teams, or even someone in the next tier out, um, I think those teams really looking and aiming at this year, seeing that you know. Whitewater hasn't put a ton of points on the board. Um, seeing that Mount Union hasn't kept a t- ton of points off the board, especially in the playoffs, and thought this was the year that someone was going to take them down. And hopefully for them, it's not a matter of frustration. I think that you know some of those things will still be uh, existent next year. And obviously, uh, you know Mount Union's defense, I think, will get better between now and next year. Uh, Whitewater's offensive line, which is you know has one junior on the two deep and is all sophomores and freshmen, they're going to get better, and that offense is going to get better. Um, but uh, you know the other teams, you know they. There were obviously a lot of seniors on uh, on the field on Saturday for the opposite sides, but it's not the be all and end all. There's still a chance for those teams to come back, be better next year, and uh, and make another deep playoff run and challenge one of these teams. Sure, and, and there are teams that uh, you know didn't even make the field that may be good enough to beat uh, Whitewater or, or Mount Union next year. You have St. Thomas that may be back in the mix. You have a uh, 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 you know Wisconsin Oshkosh and and. You know, teams that have uh, had experience beating the, the the big dog. So, I don't think all is lost, and I, I don't know if we should get off on too big of a of a, of a tangent uh, about that. But yeah, you know, Mount Union replaced seventeen starters this year, so you figure this was a year someone would get them. And it's not just the seventeen starters, the ten on offense and the seven on defense, but they turned over the co- coaching reins from Larry Karras to Vince Karras. So this was. Um, I don't know if it, if it was a house money year for for Mount Union, but it was because the expectations are to go to the Stag Bowl and win it every season. But if ever there was some slack to be cut, uh, this was the time. And Mount Union had to earn it. You know, you look at the, they won their quarterfinal game by three and their semifinal game by one. So, uh, and they had a game where in early in the season where they had to come back uh, from down in the fourth quarter. So more than any other season, uh, Mount Union has struggled to get to Salem and I guess you know depending on how you look at it that's a good thing or that's a that's a a situation where the rest of D3 goes what do we have to do to beat these guys but the same thing happened two or three years ago Pat after Mount Union graduated the Greg McKaylee and Nate Kamick and Pierre Garcon teams and uh and I guess you know Cecil Shorts and those guys hadn't emerged yet and Whitewater graduated the the Justin Beaver and and uh, you know those great teams. I, I don't know, could just name a whole bunch of guys who were who from the great Whitewater teams. Yeah, and the new era hadn't emerged. There was there were was a year in there where uh, where, the, where the teams looked vulnerable, and uh, and nobody beat them then either. There was a year in 2011 where we thought you know Wesley and St. Thomas were probably as senior laden and as good teams outside the the. The two purple powers, as the the rest of Division Three could could put up, and uh, those teams didn't advance to the Stag Bowl either. So, you know, I, I don't know what it is or what the what the rest of Division Three has to do, but I know that that it in the in the round in round three in the in the quarters and the semis this year we got a really entertaining competitive playoff, and and no matter who wins, you know, if you step back a little bit and look at the entire picture. Uh, it's going to be a successful year either way. Getting to the games as they were played on Saturday, uh, uh, you know, obviously uh, conversions slash kicking decisions slash coaching decisions uh, uh, loom in a one-point game. And, you know, the the cliche is 
the moment uh, somebody misses an extra point uh, to go and say that, you know, the game's going to turn on that. Um, the uh, It was not great kicking conditions, obviously, where you were, uh, but early on, um, you know, uh, Nick Dace and Ed Runke each made successful PATs. Dace even punched through a pretty ugly looking but effective 28 yard field goal in the snow. And then from then on, uh, you know, I think if you go through this list, the conversion rate is probably about two for seven at that point. Um, and it seemed like North Central, for example, might have, uh, let an opportunity go by, uh, on the, uh, on their last touchdown, for example, of the of the third quarter um when they go down they uh cut the deficit to 27 22 and then they try to kick you know a kick would have made it four um missing it left it at five a two-point conversion would have made it three i think the chart probably says two-point conversion at that point even if you're uh already not uh struggling and having crazy misadventures in the kicking game yeah i, I think in hindsight you know you go for two there but at that point, that left the game 27-22, and it ended up being a 41-40 game. So, you know, I, I don't know how much effect that had, that particular decision ended up having on the game, although it could have been a, a much more successful situation for uh, for North Central had they gone for two and gotten it. But um, the the whole run of, of missed points, I think, are, are, is what North Central uh, ends up kicking itself over because they, they got two blocked. They had one where, where Dace just uh, pushed it wide, and then they missed a couple of conversions. Uh, one was a uh, you know when they took the lead uh, at the 138 mark, Stanick went for went for two, and they missed the pass. And uh, there was another one earlier uh, in the, in this second half uh, when they went for two, and they didn't get it as well. Uh, they tried to run it that time with their big 215 uh, pound backup running back. They tried to let him uh, just plow it through and, uh, and he didn't get through that was on the first play of the fourth quarter so north central left i guess you got to count what five not nine points out no i'm not that's not right three two two seven they left seven points out there right by by not getting those conversions but at the same time i think the the decision that that uh john thorne was kicking himself over in the post game was at, at when they scored at the 138 mark uh, they let Randolph uh, punch it in from one yard out. Uh, he thought that that he maybe should have tried to run some more clock down there and leave a little bit less time for Burke to go down the field at the um, and and you know he ended up only needing 31 seconds. So I don't know if that would have would have made a difference or not. But um, but it was first and goal when when Randolph scored. So he could have uh, they got a first and goal at the one. Sorensen catches this pass. That is, uh, he, he catches it right in front of the pylon, knocks knocks the pylon down. You know, it's hard to tell if he's in bounds. They rule it uh, in. They review it, which uh, this is the first game all season where review is in play. Um, so North Central has a first and goal from the one in, in Thorne. Uh, Coach John Thorne in the um, post game, I think he thought maybe he should have either kneeled it uh, two times and then tried for it on third and goal. Um, and, and then try, you know, if they didn't get it from one yard out, then, then you got a fourth and one situation with the game on the line. Um, but uh, that's, you know, high, that's hindsight. I mean, you take the points when you can get them and, uh, you know, he, he's, he's, I, I think as he was talking about that in the post game, when he's, he's second and guessing himself, he's also saying, well, if we hadn't, if I'd kneeled it twice and we hadn't gotten it on the third down yeah. and, and then, you know, you go for it on fourth, then you're really kicking yourself. So. They got the points they had to lead, and the, and the defense just couldn't hold. 
you talked about that point on the sidelines where uh, where the uh, the chain gang thought that they had the they had uh, the confidence in Burke. The um, the interesting point where I thought uh, where I thought things turned on Twitter. Not that it matters what happens on Twitter, but this is the just to kind of reflect the perception of everybody else is uh, when um, when Runky drops that punt snap at uh, about the eleven oh six mark of the fourth quarter, and North Central recovers it, uh, scores a touchdown. Uh, to go up by seven. That is when people started um, started mailing in Mountain Union's chances, and I'm and I'm trying to tell you know all those people out there. And I I don't know how much you see of it uh, you know in the press box or on the sidelines of the game like that, but um, that there is just no way that a game against Mountain Union is over like that. Clearly, if it's not over at a buck thirty eight, it's not over at eleven oh six. As as much as you know, North Central had momentum at that point, and Mountain Union was back on its heels. And, you know, when does Mountain Union ever have to think about, uh, does the punter ever have to think about, hey, maybe I should try to bat this ball out the back of the end zone? Um, you know, that just never comes up for a Mountain Union punter. And that was the kind of play that reminded me of, you know, the, some of the plays that we've seen uh, Mountain Union make on the opposite side. Uh, obviously, you know, last year and then, you know, you could go back several years into a stag bowl to uh, pull out another uh, another key moment like that. And then even a key moment in one of those rare stag bowls that didn't involve Mountain Union or Wisconsin Whitewater. It just seems like those are the plays that don't happen when you're on the winning side. Well, you Mountain Union has had these you know, great special teams. That's one of the areas where they often get an edge. And Pat, you're, you're right on Saturday. Uh, North Central, you know, made some big plays on special teams. Not just the uh, the the fumble, uh, the fumble punt snap where it turned into a touchdown for North Central, and, and that gave them the 34-27 lead at the 11:06 mark in the fourth quarter. But also, uh, they they were they were great on kick returns, mm-hmm. and that was maybe something that doesn't happen on a clean field. Um, you know, guys just you know running down the field on the kickoffs can't really break down. They can't. They just couldn't get their footing to break down and, and drive through the tackles. A lot of the tackles on Saturday were sort of, you know, sloppy. Grab onto the guy, and then and then once once you grab onto the uh, the runner, then he doesn't have the footing to 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 you know fight back and use his, his lower body strength. He would just kind of fall down, and so that was what that was a big uh, factor in the game. I thought the offensive linemen sometimes couldn't anchor against the rush, or the the defensive linemen couldn't couldn't get off the ball quickly. That was where the uh, where the, the the snow made a difference, but it, it really helped North Central on those returns, and even on the very last uh, possession after Mount Union went up again, forty one forty, and then and then uh, Burke wasn't able to punch it in on the on the conversion. North Central returned it out to midfield, and so they were they were you know with after giving up the go ahead touchdown with a minute seven, yeah. they uh, actually had a chance to, uh, to to still win the game, and, and it. It just underscored what an amazing, amazing game it really was. Let me ask you from a player's perspective. Uh, you, you mentioned, obviously, some of the things on special teams that you just talked about. What are the other things that get affected when you're on the field and in field conditions like that? I, mean, I think, uh, you know, ball security, obviously, is one of them. And that wasn't as much of an issue on Saturday. North Central and Mount Union did a great job. Uh, hanging on to the ball and being smart, their runners when when the second tackler came in covering up the ball, uh, you, you really didn't see too many. Um, you know, you just didn't see them fumbling it around, and uh, I thought that was a, a credit to some of their runners and some of their receivers. I didn't see a lot of drops. You know, these are just real, really 
skilled teams, the guys that the teams that pass all the time and uh, and and you know run run the read option, and uh, they were able to, to to just be great with ball security. The one thing I did notice being on the sidelines was that um, it wasn't actually that cold. It was about thirty degrees, yeah. even though it was snowing the entire time. I think it looked worse than it was. Not saying thirty degrees is warm. But the the main thing Mountain Union was was doing when they came over to the heater on the sideline was guys were drying their cleats off, mm. and I don't know if that's because their feet were cold or because they were trying to get a little bit a uh, little bit better traction. But but um, that was the main. I, I thought the the main things that were affected by the snow were just you know being able to break down at full speed and tackle. Being you know uh, offensive and defensive line couldn't get their their full push. But uh, but it was equal on both sides because neither side could get their push. But I think it led to you know sometimes guys missing their blocks or or uh, defensive linemen you know putting up a pretty weak rush. And uh, I thought the ball security would have been more of an issue. And there were a couple times where Mountain Union guys fell down, but I didn't really see any North Central guys just take any take spills. So uh, I don't know if it was anything that they did with their with their equipment or or whatever, but. Um, that wasn't as much of an issue as you would think it would be. You mentioned read option and you mentioned lack of traction. I thought one of the key uh, coaching moves in that game was when uh, when Vince Karras switched up running backs and Logan Nemeth, who's a who's a bigger guy, got a lower center of gravity, five nine, one seventy, sophomore. Uh, they brought him in, and he you know he only had five carries on the afternoon, and he. Uh, uh, caught a pass as well, but he was a big part of a drive that really helped stabilize things for Mount Union, where they had really struggled offensively. He comes in, uh, he's able to help them control the clock, and they score a touchdown, which they needed to cut the lead to one with five minutes to go. Yeah, it was an interesting second half. If you take a look at the the drives, um, Mount Union takes opening kickoff of the second half, 13 plays, 79 yards, six minutes, three seconds off the clock, they punch it in. North Central turns around, does pretty much the same thing. Fourteen plays, seventy-nine yards, five oh five, and uh, at that point, that was when everybody in the stadium knew this was going to be an all-out, um, you know, slugfest till the very end. And um, every time one team scored, another team answered. Every time one team seized the momentum, whether it be with a big play or, or a punt, you know, the the, the turnover uh, in the punting game. Mountain you had an interception return for a touchdown at the end of the first half. Those were all big plays. Each one of those, um, each time, each team threw a haymaker, the other one came right back. So, yeah, you mentioned, you know, after that drive, Pat, where uh, B.J. Mitchell got a bunch of carries on that opening drive of the second half, that 13-play scoring drive, Mount Union then goes three plays, uh, four yards backwards with with, uh, Mitchell getting a carry on that. They went four plays, seven yards uh, with Mitchell getting a couple carries, and uh, and then three plays. They didn't run the ball at all. and that was the the possession where that ended with the fumbled snap. So at that point in the game, North Central's defense really had 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 started to feel itself a little bit. They were they had three, got off got out of, got off the field quickly three times, and uh, they were on the on the sideline. They were just happy with the way they played. They were really um, amped up. But credit to Mount Union after those three bad possessions, North Central takes the thirty four twenty seven lead. That's when uh, when you know Mitchell got a couple carries at the start of that drive, and then midway through the drive, that's when uh, Nemeth came in, and um, they used him to kind of pound the ball a little bit more in the middle, and then uh, they finished off that 12-play, 65-yard drive. It took a, it was another six-minute scoring drive, which is actually a long time for Mount Union, and uh, that was uh, you know Nemeth had that 15-yard touchdown down, down run where it would look like it would be a um, 
maybe a short five-yard gain, and then he just started rumbling through tackles, you know, kind of smelling the end zone, and he punched it in there. And uh, and and that, you know, was a was a good coaching move in in the game, but it was just one of, of so many key moments in a game that was back and forth the entire day. I wanted to get your take on Spencer Stanek. Obviously, didn't get to see him under the best of conditions, but he came in with the better quarterback numbers. He was the, uh, you know, the leader in pass efficiency in Division Three football. He'd thrown just one pick all season, um, and you know, he struggled. I thought a little bit last week, and some of his um, some of his receivers dropped some passes. And I thought I saw maybe about the same number of drop passes on Saturday, maybe three or four where I thought that those were uh, balls that they really could have had. And so for, for him to finish 19 to 37 is a little bit misleading, but you know, when you're completing 73% of your passes or whatever it was, even to have some of those catches back and be 22 or 23 of 37 is um, shows partially, of course, the difference of playing against higher uh, level competition, but I wanted to get your take on seeing him up close. Well, I think, you know, it's hard to judge a guy who, in dry weather, those that team is running everything. Their, their their routes are all based on timing, and they're quick off the line. They get the ball. Basically, they'll they'll spread a team out. And uh, there were a couple times, where, and they were still doing this on Saturday. But you imagine this works much better during the season, where uh, they'll North Central actually they don't huddle, so they line up at the line and have their four receivers out there. And then Jeff Thorne, the offensive coordinator, at least I'm pretty sure it was Jeff who was doing this. Um, surveys the the field and then he makes the call into Stanek. So they're they're looking at what the defense is giving them before they even call the play, which is like turning football on its head. You know, everybody calls the play in the huddle and then if they come to the line they feel like changing it. North Central will line up. They'll they'll give a formation and then call the play. So basically he's finding the mismatch and then Stanek was going there. And uh I, I thought Stanek played well, especially when you consider, like I said, it wasn't just that 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 it was cold and and you know there was there was snow on the field and the ball eventually is getting wet but um but you know the it was hard to see it's hard to depend on your offensive line when the, when you know every now and again somebody's slipping and stuff so I, I thought he played well he uh, you know scrambled a couple times he actually had 11 carries for 61 yards in the game uh, and, and you you have to remember too that midway through the game North Central lost its best runner. And, uh, and Ryan Kent, he left the game with 10 carries, and they gave Matt Randolph 20 carries in the game. So, so North Central actually ran the ball 41 times, and I think that was smart in the weather. And, uh, and, and you know, we saw Mountain Union do the same thing where they, they buckled down and had to run it. So when you look at Kevin Burke's passing numbers, um, you know, for his team to score 40 points, you figure, wow, he was only 12 and 19 for 163, but he had 28 rushes. He kept the ball. A lot of times on those read option plays, there were a couple other plays that were designed for him. I, I thought Burke played really well. I thought Stanek played really well. And when you, when you, even if you throw out the numbers and you just factor in the fact that each guy got the ball in the final couple minutes of the game, trailing, and they had to take their team down the field and score, and each guy took their team down the field and scored, you know, you can't knock the way they played at all. If you're a Whitewater coach and you get the tape of this game. What what can you make out of it? Do you get anything useful out of it? Yeah, I mean there there are always things to be had. I mean just the fact that that um you know Mount Union who they pulled in off the bench as you mentioned uh, as a running back that they that they went to with Nemeth and not with uh, Germany Woods. So I don't think I don't know if we're going to see him 
ever again. Um, Mason Minnick, you know, he's not, he was at, a, at some point this season, he got a lot of carries. It's now Mitchell and, and, and Nemeth and, and Mitchell to, to his credit, he had his, his cuts were, were, uh, were good on the snow. So you, you dig, he still ducks behind the, the offensive line then finds his hole. I mean, I, he didn't, you'd think a, a small shifty guy would play differently in, in that kind of footing, but he played basically the way he looks in, in dry weather. Uh, there's certainly, you know, formation wise and what the defense was, was throwing at North central. Um, there's a lot of stuff that whitewater can pick up off this tape. I, I think the thing that, that would look different if you're seeing it for the first time is just, you know, the speed and some of the defensive linemen and, 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 you know, linebackers guys, you know, just not being able to really break down and tackle guys, not being able to get, get it when they're in their three point stance, really get off, uh, and, and get a good rush. But um, but there was there's a lot to, for for Whitewater to glean from the tape, and I what, what's interesting is Mountain Union and North Central mirrored each other very much, and Mary Harden Baylor and Whitewater mirrored each other very much, just in this, their style of play, the way the teams are built, um, you know what they're good at. I mean, Mountain Union and North Central are good at spreading teams out and letting their quarterback, you know, pick apart a defense with surgical precision because they have very smart quarterbacks. Uh, and good offensive lines. Whitewater and and Mary Harden Baylor, I think, you know, they're in a different situation where their quarterbacks are good, but not all American level quarterbacks. But they but they're um, just bruising type of teams, and and they are comfortable with their offense. Where if they don't mind punting it, playing a field position game because they have such great defenses. So I don't. I think when we get to talking about this matchup that's coming up on Friday. That where you have Mountain Union, I think high-powered offense and a defense that is, you know, sometimes timely, but has given up fifty-nine and forty points the past two weeks. Going against Whitewater, who's is not putting up big numbers offensively, but has been opportune on offense and has a defense that's been shutting teams down. Um, as perfect as these two matchups were on Saturday in the semifinals, is as imperfect or as unlike each other uh mountain union and whitewater are going to be this year when they meet in salem yeah and we will move forward to that uh, mary harden baylor whitewater game in just a second i just wanted to point out uh something that keith mentioned uh germany woods last had a carry in week 10 against baldwin wallace the last time he had double digit carries was a week eight game against otterbein mason minnick Last had a carry in the uh, second round of the playoffs against Wittenberg, and the last time he had double-digit carries was in that uh, Week 10 game against Baldwin-Wallace. So the uh, Mount Union uh, running game has taken, obviously, a different shape over the course of the last five weeks of the season. And so now uh, Keith got to see the offensive battle. Uh, uh, I'm going to talk about the defensive battle, the one that was uh, the 16-15 game in which Whitewater beat Mary Harden Baylor. Um, you, you, you talked, Keith, about uh, just a moment ago about punting and playing the field position game. In this case, uh, Mary Harden Baylor kicked the field goal and played the field position game and never got, basically never got the ball back. A, a second had to be added back on the clock before Mary, for Mary Harden Baylor to take one more snap. So Mary Harden Baylor makes this decision. Uh, they start off their um, they start off their final full drive uh, or they finish it off. First and goal from the four. Uh, false start penalty knocks them back to the nine. They eventually get uh, uh, get back to the point where it's third and goal from the three. Zach Anderson is throwing a ball to a freshman, Colby Kelly, coming out of the flat. He's wide open, drops it, and then uh, Mary Harden-Baylor 
instead of uh, going for it right away on fourth and three, when you're down by four, Rio, mind you, they're down 16-12 at this point, takes a timeout with uh, about three and a half minutes left, brings on the field goal unit, Chad Peavy kicks a 21-yard field goal, and then they fail to get the stop defensively, and Whitewater doesn't have to uh, give the ball up until they have to punt it away with about eight seconds left. Mary Harden-Baylor has one snap and can't pull off the miracle, and uh, there we are. I've just boiled uh, boiled this great uh, playoff game played in front of more than 4,000 fans down to that one decision. Well, in real time, it was it was a baffling decision, and um, you know as great a coach as Coach Fredenberg is, you know it's hard not to second guess that because you know I'd love to have um, advanced statistics to sit here and tell us what the win probability is if you have the ball from your own right. You're on the three yard line and you have a fourth down. And your chances of going for it and scoring the game-winning touchdown, you know, I, I don't know from three yards, but let's say fifty percent. And what are your chances are of getting the ball back after you you kick the field goal? And the only, you know, the the one thing you can say is if you do get the ball back, you don't need to drive all the way down and score. Another field goal will win it because yep. it's a one-point margin as opposed to a four-point game. But yeah, and they have um, a guy who can kick forty-plus up to maybe fifty-yard field goals too. And I believe and they had the wind in they that had quarter. A wind. Right, right. The wind is very significant in in Belton and that's in in that stadium. And it was blowing hard on Saturday. Maybe not the hardest wind we've ever seen affect a, a Mary Harden Baylor Whitewater <laughs> no. game, but certainly they did have the wind at their back. So I can understand why you'd 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 feel confident in in a long field goal kick. But given that. You're 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 on the three yard line. You've been gaining your your four and a half yards of carry uh, the entire day. The if you look at the sequence that led up to that play, too, um, Mary Harden Baylor. I think they had all the momentum until the far the false start call, and that was a real big that was a real big false false start call. What happened was Whitewater's backed up. They kick it out of their end zone. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mary Harden Baylor, you know, catches the punt, returns it to about the twenty five. They hand it off a couple times, and at this point in the game, they're switching between uh, between running backs. They're giving it to Elijah Hudson, who's their their main guy, but they also brought in Malcolm Miller, who is about five seven two. I, I thought I saw two eleven in the graphic. I heard the <laughs> broadcast say two thirty, but anyway, I mean, just a big, big guy, and he hits the hole hard. So they got a couple big carries with him, and I think when they got to the point where they're you know what first and goal from the four. You figure they're, they're going to just run the ball three times with between those two guys, and they're going to punch it in. As great as Whitewater's defense is, they were getting blown back off the ball. Uh, after the false start, they ran it two times, right? So they got pushed back to the nine, so they still got themselves to the three. Then they ran a short uh, – I, I, I don't think it was play-action pass, but a short pass where they, they drag a, um, a tight end out into the front corner of the end zone. Zach Anderson is kind of a half rollout, hits the uh, – it's the the guy in the numbers, and and he's in the end zone, falling backwards as it hits him, and he drops it. So uh, that's the game winning touchdown right there, or the go ahead touchdown because there's still three you know three some odd minutes left in the game at that point. But that's that's the the go ahead touchdown right there. And so Fredenberg calls the timeout, talks it over with uh, I'm going to guess that coordinator that he talked it over with, and, and the key thing there is a couple a couple key things when you have when you make that decision, and I'm I. I Sorry, I, re- I recounted the whole scenario just so we could all sit here and say, all right, we're, we're in this situation. What do you do? Um, 
what's the worst that could happen if you don't get it? Right. The worst that can, I mean, theoretically, right. The worst that can happen if you don't get it is they start first and first and 10 from their own three, two or one yard line. Right. And you still, you'll have, you took the timeout to discuss this. So you still have your two timeouts, about three and a half minutes left in the game. It's close to um, four minutes in the game. In fact, I should probably look it up here while we're talking. Three thirty, three thirty-two at the timeout. Okay. So what, the worst that could happen if you hand it off or if you throw an incomplete pass is Whitewater takes over. Whitewater's not going to be able to kneel it or, or, any, you know, or, or I mean, they could, they could run it up the middle, but they're basically going to have to try to get, use a couple downs to get themselves some space and then have a third down where they try to convert uh, after you burn your two timeouts, which is what happened after the field goal anyway. Um, and then you get the ball back, and, and the only difference is you still need a touchdown to go ahead because you're down four. Um, and so you you know you may get the ball at midfield or whatever. But the 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 flip is what do you gain by kicking the field goal? You kick it 16, 15, you still have to do that whole sequence anyway and, and get the ball back. The only difference is um, you know, you've kicked off and now you, you get the ball back and maybe you, you can get a field goal to win it. Um I, I thought that's a real key thing, key part of the decision. And then the other part of the decision is do you have a play that you really like? And it's the same same thing as basically your two your your same set of two point conversion plays, any play where you need three yards. Personally, the way they were running the ball, um, you know, a, any one of their their basic run plays, I, I think would have been. I, I know that you know it's it, it, just call a run play for for three yards. Most teams can't do that, but the way they were running on that drive, uh, especially with with Malcolm Miller in the game, you, you may want to give it to Hudson, your best player. Um, or, or do you go to one of your plays? You know, your your two point conversion plays are, are yes. a lot of times you know crossing routes or play action or something where you you find a guy in the front of the end zone or, or streaking across the back of the end zone while the action is all going the other way. Um, I don't like like a fade or anything like that in that situation. Even though Mary Harden Baylor uh, does have a tall receiver, I, I I think you go to your you know your bread and butter. Um, I, I thought I think most people would agree that it was a very conservative decision to kick the field goal there, have it be 16-15. And I don't think that we're, you know, using hindsight to, to, to make an argument about a point in the game that was a key point in the game. I, mean, I think even in real time, everybody could say, hmm, that's a, that's a strange decision. And it really hinges on you being able to get the ball back. And, and by, the, you know, by taking the timeout, that third timeout to discuss it, that's one, one timeout you would like to have on that drive end up not mattering when, uh, when Baron hit Jonikin for the, for the you know, conversion and, and Whitewater was able to kill the clock. Derek Jonikin. Yeah. This is a third down and six play. Jonikin's a tight end who averages about one and a half catches a game. Um, you know, there are, there have been more utilized tight ends in the recent history of Whitewater success. Jonikin isn't even the most well-known name in division three among whitewater tight ends the guy who's his backup chris davis was actually the d3 hoops.com player of the year two years ago when the warhawks won the men's basketball national championship he's not really a factor on the football team but he's the next guy down in the depth chart he's arguably a uh, a more recognizable name and if yeah all of those things that just happened all those things that we just spent the last few minutes talking about uh, are moot if they can uh, if mary harden baylor can get that stop on third down and the tight end doesn't take it 18 yards for a first down yeah, but but you you know you you you're gambling one way or the other at that at that point. You're gambling that your defense can can stop. And and I understand May Harden Baylor's best unit uh, is its defense. And and maybe Coach Fredenberg felt comfortable 
uh, at that point, relying on his defense to get the ball back. And then, you know, they don't have when they get the ball back, they only have to they don't have to go the length of the field. They don't have to go. They don't have to go far enough to set up the game winning field goal, have the wind. I understand that. But, you know, from the three yard line, you're not going to get much closer than that. And so it's, um, you know, it, it's it's a interesting dilemma. I guess you can you can argue about it. But the same way. You know, a lot of times or occasionally a team season will come down to a two-point conversion try, right? A three-yard play. Either yep. you get it or you don't. You have plays in your, in your offensive uh, playbook. Sometimes ones that you don't use. You practice every week, but you don't show on on, uh, on video so that nobody knows this play is coming when you need it. But you have plays in your, in your offensive arsenal that are set to get three yards when you need three yards to win a game to save the season. So interesting decision uh, by, by Coach Fredenberg, to say the least. Uh, you know, I guess you're right, Pat. If, um, if they'd gotten the ball back, kicked the game-winning field goal, nobody would second-guess it. If they played better early in the game and, and, and taken advantage of some opportunities, we wouldn't second-guess it. But I, I don't think it, it, this is a stretch to go out on, on uh, to, to say that's a curious decision and, um, and you know, it, it, it you can't say it cost them the game because there's a drop on third down. There's a false start penalty on first down, and that may have been the, the most important part of that drive because uh, up until then, as I said earlier, the Kindler punt was 29 yards. Cody Jones ran it back 16 yards to the 20, and then you know they four yards to Miller, three yards to Miller, nine yards to Miller to set him up on the four yard line with that first and goal, and then that that uh, that false start penalty uh, really hurt them. For me, uh, my favorite play when you need three yards ago is actually the one that they ran on third down, uh, for what it's worth. So the second consecutive week, Keith, in which uh, Mary, uh, in which Whitewater lets the opponent jump out to a multiple score lead and then comes back and scores almost all the rest of the points. Uh, uh, last week, of course, they uh, fell uh, behind to Linfield, seventeen nothing. Came back to win twenty eight seventeen on Saturday. They fell behind twelve zip and came back to win sixteen fifteen. And, um, you know, it's been kind of a, uh, it's, it's been kind of a tough season to be a Whitewater fan. If you think about it, you know, obviously they're 14 and 0, but there've been a lot of, uh, um, there's been a lot of anxiety, I guess, in those games going all the way back to week one. Both of these teams are going to come in Saturday off a game in week one where they nearly got upset by lower ranked opponents, uh, you know, Mount Union, obviously by Franklin and even more so to think now that, Wash U is the team that held the lead the latest in a game on Wisconsin on Wisconsin Whitewater because they had it with about seven minutes to go in the fourth quarter. That's just mind boggling to me. Well, it's interesting too, though that that Whitewater has trailed a bunch of times this season, and Mountain Union has trailed this season or has had to hang on at the end of games where they led big. And uh, you know, it goes back to the argument that I guess we touch on at the beginning of the podcast, and I don't want to you know, yeah. discount what, what Mount Union and Whitewater have been able to do the past nine years. It's amazing. It's outstanding. But for the people who have sort of a defeatist mentality about it, it it's it's tough to, you know, it's not, it, these aren't foregone conclusions, any of these games. And Pat, we could, I, I don't know if you want to pull this stuff out now or we could talk yeah, about it later. Let's I go can, for it. I can write it. I can write about it during the week, whatever. But each year, there's been at least one game for each Mountain Union Whitewater where where they could have been bounced from the playoffs. Uh, you, let's go back to 05, the first year these two teams met in the um, in the Stag Bowl. Mountain Union won in the semis against Capital 34-31. Uh, 
and in uh, Linfield, uh, Whitewater beat Linfield in the quarters, uh, 44-41. They beat Wesley 58-6 in the semis that year. 06, almost the exact same thing. Whitewater's tough game was in the quarters. They beat St. John's 17-14, and Mount Union beat Capital in the semis 17-14. Uh, the, the 07 year was the year where the two teams kind of cruised the most. Uh, Whitewater beat Mary Harden Baylor 16-7. Uh, Bethel, Mount Union crushed Bethel 62-14. 08, Mount Union crushed in the semis against Wheaton 45-24. And, uh, and, and Mary Harden, Whitewater beat Mary Harden Baylor in that win game 39-13. But they trailed in the quarters. They trailed Wartburg. And I remember they had a big, I think it was a blocked field goal. They trailed in the, in the second half of that game, maybe in the fourth quarter. Um, of that game in in the quarters, and they had to uh, to rally to win that thirty four seventeen. So the score is a little bit mis misleading. Same thing in oh nine, the Mount Union uh, semis. They beat Wesley twenty four seven, but that was ten seven for a good portion of the fourth quarter of that game. So you know, there there's certainly uh, Wesley was in that game. Wesley threw a uh, jump pass at the goal line uh, that was intercepted. In that one, where they, you know, they probably should have just tried to punch it in and get seven uh, the easy way. But um, that year in '09, when uh, when Mount Union won its semifinal 24-7 against Wesley, Whitewater had to rally to beat Linfield in, in the fourth quarter, uh, 27-17. They won that one. In uh, in 2010, neither of the games were really all that close, but uh, Whitewater trailed in the quarterfinals. Neither semis were all that close. Whitewater beat Wesley and Mount Union beat Bethel each by each one their semifinal by 20. But in the quarters, uh, North Central trailed. North Central went into the fourth quarter with the lead against Whitewater, if I remember correctly, and they ended up losing 20 to 10. In, uh, in 2011, Mount Union beat Wesley 28-21 in the semis, and they beat uh, Wabash in the quarters 20 to 8, which was a pretty close game. Um, and then this year, obviously, the two one-point uh, games in the semis. I skipped over twelve because that was the year that that um, Mount Union played St. Thomas. And uh, but Mount Union has a you know a three point win and a one point win. Whitewater has a one point win and a game where they trailed Linfield in the quarter seventeen nothing and scored the uh, the final twenty eight points. So I just wanted to go through all that. It probably looks better in a chart than it does listening to me narrate it. But um, but it, it's just a history of chances that other division three teams haven't been able to to capitalize on they've been close a lot of times and 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 the list of schools is not just one or two schools remember it's capital it's linfield it's st john's it's uh it's wesley it's north central it's all these teams mary harden baylor who've had a chance to knock off one of the purple powers and have been close and nobody was closer than north central and mary harden baylor we're on Saturday, and for whatever reason, um, you know, the two Purple Powers cruise on into Salem again. But maybe they don't cruise on into Salem, but, but they, they were able to, uh, to, to figure out a way to get there. Uh, Mountain Union with the last second drive and Whitewater by hanging on in that tough situation uh, at the goal line. You know, you mentioned it earlier, Keith. This is really going to be a a, a a matchup of a pair of opposite teams. You know, the uh, Mountain Union with the uh, with a lot of success on offense, especially of late, really struggling on defense, and Whitewater with a really young offense that hasn't really come into its own. They've been solid, if unspectacular, and a defense that has been, you know, that's been the that's been the lights out unit for them. As, as still to this point, nobody scored uh, more than seventeen points. On Wisconsin Whitewater this season, I suspect that'll probably change Saturday. But I think we'll uh, I think we'll have a uh, 
Well, you know, that's a good question. I just, I, I just had to turn my, uh, turn my prediction around in my head. If I think somebody's going to score more than seventeen on Whitewater, I have to wonder how Whitewater is going to score, uh, how they're going to score that many points. But I've gotten myself turned around in that conversation each of the last two weeks as well. Well, but I'm glad you brought that up because uh, uh, this happens, you know, kind of semi frequently where you have one great unit mash up against the other great unit. And in this case, it's going to be a great Whitewater defense against a pretty great uh, Mountain Union offense. Those two units are going to clash. But sometimes it's the other units that that decide the game. And so maybe the the matchup to watch, even though it's the less flashy matchup, is Whitewater being able to find ways to exploit the Mountain Union defense, which is good at times and is opportunistic, but has been you know exploited pretty heavily the past couple of weeks. Now exploited by some great playmakers, some of the best D three has to offer. And, and Whitewater is not going to attack the same way North Central does. They're not going to play, you know, with the nothing to lose mentality necessarily that Wesley did once they got down big in that game. But, but I mean, you know, it could be special teams too that that make a big difference. And I, I'm pretty sure Mount Union wasn't happy with its special teams on Saturday. And I don't know how much of it they'll attribute to the um, to the snow, but I think some of it was is you know poor coverage and and, and things that can be fixed an area that can be exploited. So uh, this is for, for whatever anyone has to say about it's boring or it's there's no variety between the teams that make it to Salem, the history between these two teams in the games, when they play in Salem, the thing is you, you don't know who's going to win when they go down there. You know, obviously we don't do betting lines or anything like that because it's the NCAA, but you know, the, the, there's not a big favorite usually when these two teams play, and it'd be within a touchdown, I imagine, uh, most most years, except for maybe the first couple. And then the final scores, the way the games bear out, they're always in doubt in the fourth quarter. Literally every single one of them, except for maybe the second one where it was 35-16, every one of the, the, the Mountain Union-Whitewater matchups in Salem has been in doubt in the fourth quarter. And you can't ask for, for more than that. So for whatever the final game lacks in color variety <laughs> or, you know, or <laughs> the, just the, the, of all the, the 244 colleges in, in D3, um, you know, same two keep making it to Salem. Uh, no disrespect to St. Thomas in 2012. We do remember that you did actually make it to Salem. Um, well, for whatever those, it, it lacks in variety, I think it makes up for in competitiveness and, and it could be a lot worse. You know, you don't want to have one, dominant team crushing whichever other team makes it to Salem. It's at least you have two teams that keep getting there and keep having good games when they do get there. We will analyze this game more as the week progresses Uh, on Friday. I guess it'll be on Friday morning. We'll have the, uh, the triple take, but for trip for the uh, stag bowl, what we do is we expand it out to about six or seven people. So you'll get not only my take and Keith's take and Ryan tips take, but you also get, I'm just going to put Adam Turr on the spot. Uh, I assume since he's going to be there covering the game for us, we'll get a take from him. Uh, generally, we get a take from each of the uh, uh, someone covering each of the two teams more closely, uh, and that sort of thing. Um, I also, but then I mentioned we would still obviously take a little bit more time to talk about this game right now because um, you know it's a championship game. It's kind of important. Um, I mentioned earlier Whitewater the. Uh, uh, the starting offensive line for them has one junior. That's Lucas Skiba. They've got uh, two freshmen starting right now. 
they have two freshmen as backups, so there's four freshmen on the two deep. There are uh, five sophomores on the two deep. Johnny Wiederhold at the starting left tackle. Eli Sloniker, the starting left guard. The thing that um, you know is, has been good for Whitewater over the course of the last couple of weeks is they have their uh, receiving core healthy. Uh, Jake Kumro, I'm sure you've heard of before. If you are, you know, if you're still with us. 48 minutes into the podcast, then you've probably heard us talk about Jake Kumaro before. Uh, 70 catches for over 1,200 yards, 17 receiving touchdowns, and he's had a great playoffs as well. Uh, Tyler Huber is back and healthy for them. You remember, he got injured uh, in the Buffalo State game in 2012 uh, and was supposed to be a, a big factor for them last year. Never quite was. Um, you know, and then they've got, uh, so those are the two guys who I think would be the one and two right now. And not just cause they wear those numbers on their backs. Um, but, uh, Justin Howard has, uh, you know, stepped up while those guys were battling injuries and he has, uh, nearly 70 catches as well. Uh, they have Steve Morris, they have Joe Worth, they have a lot of guys for Barron to throw to. And if you remember back Keith to when Barrett made his, uh, made his appearance as a whitewater quarterback, they brought him in. Uh, in place of Lee Brecky midway through the game against Wisconsin Oshkosh back in uh, back in 2012 when Whitewater's offense was in a real bad situation. They really needed a spark, and he sparked them for a little bit. Um, you know, didn't end up winning that game. They ended up losing another game and uh, not making the playoffs last year, uh, even with Barron at quarterback. But he's been a guy who, you know, clearly has been uh, solid to whatever the next level up would be, uh, you know, pretty darn good uh, at quarterback. And then, you know, the running back situation when they've, uh, you know, they had a lot of early season turnover because of guys who weren't healthy and that sort of thing. But Jordan Ratliff has really come on here in his sophomore year and has solidified that position. And Booker Ross is a, uh, is a solid backup and uh, Ryan Givens, who was the starter when he was healthy, now kind of relegated to a backup position. The, uh, the offense, you know, is young. I didn't name anybody, you know, of all those guys I just talked about, the only one who's a senior is Tyler Huber. Everybody else is uh, juniors, sophomores, and in the case of uh, Booker Ross, for example, a freshman. So that's a that's a real young offense that you know is going to be in a position where they're. If you're looking back at games, you know, in week five, week six, week four, whatever, you're not gonna you're not gonna get the the real picture on what these guys can do right now here going into week sixteen. Yeah, it, you you pretty much covered it from from first base all the way around to home plate as far as the the offense is concerned. I don't know why I went baseball in the middle of a football. Podcast. That's all right, go for it. Um, but you know, I think the most impressive thing about about Barrett, and maybe this does go back to getting him that experience at the end of last season, is that Whitewater's been in a bunch of battles. Uh, they've trailed at, at key points. If you, you you know you go through the schedule. And it, it's not it's not just the Wash U game that you mentioned where they ended up winning seventeen seven, but uh, but they beat Washkosh seventeen four. Uh, Washkosh, wow. Yeah, I'm they you know beat, they just slam all those words together. It works. <laughs> they beat uh, they won at Wisconsin Oshkosh. Let, let's I'll, I'll say it out. Uh, we make up a word every week on the podcast right. as a bonus to our loyal <laughs> listeners. I think we're so undebeaten. We a, yeah, we're undebeaten in that process. So. A washkosh should be like a car wash in Oshkosh. But all right, anyway, the point we were making is, uh, you know, they played a tight game against Oshkosh. That was a 17-14 game. They had to win on the road at Stevens Point, 17-7. 
And and then, you know, we mentioned the Linfield and the Mary Harden Baylor playoff game. So I, I think that for whatever the offense lacks in um you know, experience. I think Whitewater is is built in a way where they are comfortable when their offense is struggling. That they don't panic. They don't feel like they they need to run up thirty five points to win. You know, they um, they take it. I'm sure, but they're comfortable being sound and 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 letting the game come to them. And if if it happens. You know, whichever way the game goes in Salem, if they fall behind early, you won't be able to count them out because they've been been down 17 to Linfield and 12 to to Mary Harden Baylor, and they've made great adjustments at the half, but also you know getting points right before the half too, and going in feeling feeling good. Um, I, you know, I, I think this is a it's, it's going to sound really really terribly cliche, but they're they're a 60 minute team, and they they. Just you're not gonna. I don't. They're not gonna get blown out by Mountain Union. Mountain Union is gonna make some plays. They got. They have a really, for, for they have a really dynamic offense. It turns out, you know, even replacing ten starters and uh, you know, Kevin Burke is is a smart guy back there. He's gonna take what what the Whitewater defense gives him uh, on the read option plays and on the pass plays. And uh, he was, you know, really, he really did some amazing things in the snow. Just as far as being being uh, gritty and, and leading those guys. It was a real, real fun game to watch. But I, I just th- I just go back to the point where if, if Whitewater falls behind in this game, if they get a lead in this game, they're going to be very steady. And a lot of that is due to the uh, to the great defense that they have. And uh, But I'm sure a, a good bunch of it is due to, to, to Matt Barrett and uh, keeping those guys sort of under control on offense. And on that defensive side of the ball, that's where you find all the seniors. I mean, there's – uh, five of the six guys in the two deep at linebacker or seniors, uh, you know, led by Cole Klotz in the middle of the Gilardi Trophy finalists. We'll talk more about the Gilardi Trophy before this show is done. Uh, you know, two starters on the defensive line, Marshall Rutherford and Lusant Minette. You may remember him as the most outstanding player of a stag bowl at some point in the not-too-distant past. And then uh, three juniors and a senior uh, starting in the secondary, including uh, Brady Gravold, who has eight interceptions now, five picks in the playoffs for the junior. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a uh, a real nice postseason. But I, I think too, you know, sometimes you get in a stretch in uh, as a player where you where you're feeling really good about yourself and and you start just making plays. And I think that that happens when, especially if you're if you're new or if you're young, it can take you like a year or a year and a half to really feel comfortable in a scheme. Like I remember, I remember switching positions from corner to free safety. And it was maybe like the fourth or fifth game of my senior year when by virtue of switching positions, I had to, you know, you learn something else and then you understand the whole defense. And so that for me, that didn't happen until I was a senior and, you know, like four games into, so I really only kind of stinks. I only got to play six games where I, I, I got it. Like I totally understood everything that was happening. Uh, You know, a lot of times you're just, you're just out there doing what you've been told or what you've been taught to do at your position and play your role. But there's a point where you where you, you maybe you just you start to get why I'm doing this because it affects what this guy does and this 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 happens and if I see the offense line up like this you automatically know your your adjustments. What sometimes when you get in that point, um, you know you can play a lot better than you've been known to play. And, and you alluded to it earlier, Pat, that this this Whitewater team is actually because it's so young, it's still ascending, and we may not have seen their best. This is a team where we could see their 
their their best game in the Stag Bowl on Friday. And, and the thing about that is that point holds holds water for Mount Union as well because a lot, uh, as I mentioned, you know, ten guys uh, were new starters at the beginning of the season. Seven uh, were on defense, but they've also, you know, as we talked about the running backs, they're not afraid to pull somebody else from deeper in the program up and put them in the game. If that's the guy that's practicing well, and that's the, the other guy's not performing. And, and and that's a big difference, you know, with these two programs where they have the competition, uh, the depth within the program to, to be able to replace guys at this point in the season and get them plugged in quickly. And when that light goes on, you know, amazing things can happen. I just wanted to point out that uh, in the span of the first 34 games of Keith's career, when he didn't fully understand what he was doing on defense, one of those games he had four interceptions in, in the in the game. So uh, I, might have, that, I, might have, I might have had all my career interceptions <laughs> in, when I didn't get it. Now that I think about it, no, I may have had a couple of it at the end of uh, But anyway, uh, it, it's, it really is a thing. It's not just something that you hear announcers say where, where you know, the game slows down for you. It, I mean, that may be a, a kind of a cliche way to say it, but it, once you kind of you come in as a freshman and they tell you, all right, this is your job, and you're just used to listening to what the coach says. All right, do this. If this happens, do this. If they show you this look, do this. And there's a point where you understand why they're telling you to change to do all that stuff. And once you do that, um, you know the game really does become easier. And and you really it's cliche, of course, but. But to, to say, you know, you're not just out, you're not out there thinking, you're just reacting because you've seen it enough times. And, and when you get 14, 15 weeks into a season, if you've been a starter the whole time, you know, you have seen pretty much everything that's out there. We talk, obviously, we talked all season about the fact that Mountain Union returned just one starter on offense from last year, and that was Kevin Burke. But, you know, a lot of the guys who are on the top of the two deep for Mountain Union are actually more veteran than the uh, than the younger guys for Whitewater. For example, uh, they start three seniors up front, uh, Gage Goebel on the left tackle, uh, James Kent in the middle, and Johnny Cannell at the right tackle, um, junior Pat Mahoney, Michael Frank, the left guard. Um, you know, Sherman Wilkinson, the guy who we've been uh, raving about over the last few weeks as a breakout guy. Yeah. You know, you look at uh, Sherman Wilkinson on the roster. He's a senior, by the way. He uh, waited behind a, a bunch of really talented wide receivers who were in front of him in previous years. Uh, Jack Nichols is a re- is a receiver. He's a senior. Luke Meacham, the tight end, is a junior. Um, you know, obviously B.J. Mitchell or Bradley Mitchell, depending on you know who you hear talk about him, uh, is a freshman. Uh, and Logan Nemeth is a sophomore uh, in the running game. But you know, there's a lot of guys with a lot of experience there. And then, of course, on the defensive side, more of those guys were. Returning starters from last year, Matt Fetchko, Nigel Thomas, uh, defensive tackle, defensive end, are each seniors. Ted Resolve is a junior. Tom Lally is a sophomore. Uh, the two uh, linebackers in the four-two-five are young. They're sophomores. John Gannell, Hank Spencer. Uh, the corners, Trey Jones is a uh, is a sophomore. Isaiah Chambers, however, is a senior. Mike Meyer is a senior. Uh, Alex Kochev, just a sophomore. Josh Scott, a junior. So there's, you know, they're a little bit, uh, a little bit older. You know, they get a lot of experience as a backup too for Mountain Union as well. Well, you know, the one thing Mountain Union does a nice job of is, is you know, the one thing as if they only do one. <laughs> just one. one. 
One of the many things they do a nice job of is identifying a guy who, who can play and rotating him in there. Lolly made plays in the in the Stag Bowl last year, and now he's a key defensive end. You know, Fetchko's been been a part of the the defensive line rotation for a long time. Uh, Coach F played in the Stag Bowl last year, made some big plays. Now he's the leader of the secondary. I remember calling Hank Spencer's name uh, last year, and and now they have some other younger guys. Uh, the other linebacker you mentioned, Gunnell, he's the one who 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 picked off um, uh, Spencer Stanek as they were as North Central was coming out, and uh, and and he took that back thirty seven yards for a touchdown in a in a point in the game on Saturday where North Central was starting to take control in the uh, in the first half of that game, and Mount Union just needed a play to get their crowd back in and to get themselves back in it, and they got a huge play from him. I know they're they're pretty excited about his future, and then you mentioned. That offensive line, um, James Kent is the one I remember talking, you know, calling his name last year uh, during the Stag Bowl. But the other guys, the names are all new. And so as much as we talk about, we'll talk about all the skill positions, it is interesting that both teams have uh, have offensive lines that if young is not the right word, inexperienced, maybe they were inexperienced, but they've been together now for the uh, you know better part of 14 weeks. And, uh, and, and, you know, both lines played pretty well last week uh, on, on Saturday. So, you know, that could be a, as much of a, of a part of what decides the stag ball as, as anything. It's not the only thing that's going on in Salem this week. We're, uh, we're beyond the hour point in this podcast, by the way, so we'll try to get to the end uh, fairly quickly. I, 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 didn't think, I didn't think we could do an hour on two games. I didn't think so either. That's... Um... Well, there was a lot to talk about. Sometimes the semifinals don't both end up in one-point games, let's be honest with you. That's true. The, uh, and also, I talk for three minutes at a time, so I probably... That's, I'm the play-by-play guy, you're the color guy. It's supposed to, it's supposed to work that way. Um, on Wednesday night, we will uh, hand out the Guardi Trophy. I mean, not you know us personally, but uh, we in Division Three will, and we get pretty close to handing it out personally in the the previous uh, couple of years. Keith has been uh, the guy who interviews each of these four super finalists the the final four uh on stage uh you can watch the broadcast live we'll have uh air for you probably i think 7:45 eastern time on wednesday night the ceremony is at the end of an awards dinner so uh it's why we can't really give you an exact time we could just turn on the cameras and you could watch everybody eat at seven but you really want the uh important stuff so kevin burke you may have heard of us talk about him already today. Cole Klotz, uh, the Whitewater linebacker, and then uh, McCallum Foote, the Middlebury quarterback, and Octavius McCoy, the Western Connecticut running back. Those are the four guys who come to Salem. And Keith, since I'm playing that role that you've played for the last couple of years, uh, give me some advice, man, because uh, you're the better interviewer than I am. I'll, I'm sure I'll have great notes, but what's your, uh, what's your key tip for me going up there? Uh, I mean, I, I talked to him like you were, you, you were talking to them after a game, you know, in, in Vermont or Connecticut or uh, or Whitewater or, or Alliance, because you know you, I mean, uh, people are already know you and respect you, and you've been following these guys for a long time. I, I think it's just an interesting group of guys to talk to because you have the two uh, players who, who are going to be playing a couple of days later in Salem and Klotz and, and Kevin Burke, so you have a lot. To uh, to you know to weave in with them and you have a supportive crowd it'll it'll be easy to go through those two guys and then you have Octavius McCoy and and, and McCallum Foot who guys who who um 
are you know far removed from from this stag bowl. You know, the teams didn't participate in the playoffs uh, because Western Connecticut didn't make it. Middlebury doesn't participate. There, there's a lot to talk about there. Both those guys started their careers at different schools and then found their homes in Division Three. So there's yep. there's a lot of ground to mine there to ask them. You know what what drew them to middle what drew you to Middlebury what drew you to Western Connecticut when did you know you know this was the fit for you you got the 465 yards it was McCoy 465 and then Brooks was 477 uh so McCoy was 455 455 okay so then Brooks must have been 465 that they were talking about the the two huge running games this year but um there's that to ask about and and obviously you know Burke as a won a stag bowl before, but just last week's game going down the field uh, in the snow at home, throwing a perfect ball on a, on a double move to uh, to Caliccio, the receiver who um, I think that was he said that was his first career touchdown. There's so much stuff to talk about with those guys. Cole Klotz, um leading an outstanding defense, going go being on a team that that. Has no is known for going to the Stag Bowl and then didn't go last year and then you know had the dreams of going this year. There's so there's so much to talk about. I think actually, for the most part, it'll probably all come to you pretty easily. Um, you know, it's hard it's hard to be on stage and not be nervous and not think you're gonna fumble around. But it, it's it, it sets you at ease too when you have that montage to watch. Yeah, because uh, you know get you get your mind uh, going a little bit about the guys and you have people from from campus who speak highly of them. And, and uh, it's really it's I, I just love that they've added that part to the uh, to the the Gallardi Trophy ceremony. It's great that we have uh, a ceremony that's worthy of the award. Frankly, you know when it's uh, when you know who it is ten days in advance, and the guy shows up, gives a speech. We have a nice video montage of him and collects his award. It's just not the same as you know having all four of those guys come down sharing this experience. These are the this is the sort of thing that those guys are going to remember. Uh, and, and for two of those guys, this is going to be the the very capper of their collegiate football career. Uh, and as you mentioned, Burke and Klotz have a uh, have a game to play. Uh, the other thing uh, going on, obviously, there's uh, lots of other events, but also uh, right now, obviously, we're still five days out. Um, but the weather forecast looks really good for Saturday. We have a projected high of 61 degrees in uh, Roanoke and Salem, so I'm looking forward to that. And should be a great afternoon for tailgating, and tailgating is a, a big part of what goes on uh, in Salem before these games, especially when it's a uh, when it's a primetime kickoff and not an 11 a.m. game. Yeah, well, it gives you all day to, to uh, relax. Get in the mood. Yeah, get in the mood for football, let's say. Uh, there's, you know, it's cool to just be out there when, you know, Mount Union and Whitewater, those, the teams, the schools know how to put a bus trip together, the fans know how to get to Salem and what to do when they get there. So it's going to be a big crowd either way. But then you have that group that, that we always like to, to congregate with, which is the people who come to the game who aren't affiliated with Mount Union or Whitewater. Although, of course, we love having the, those guys uh, down there, too. But the the just the diehard fans of D three that will go that will go to the game just to go and uh, we're always always welcome. We'll find you know our friends who uh, who tailgate out there and we we love to see you come and stop by and represent your school. You know we've seen everyone down there from from Huntington to you know Mary Harden Baylor and and folks from out west will come out and and um, you know obviously other schools in Virginia and and, and on the east coast. Uh, you know Bridgewater and Wesley, we always see, and 
and uh, you know it, it's just I, I think it's fun obviously we have our crew which which represents Wabash and Catholic and Randolph-Macon and Union and Trinity College you know so uh, I, I just it, it's good to see everybody get together and, the, and if I, I don't think too many people on the podcast are, are on the fence about coming but right. if, if you were uh, it certainly would be uh, you know would be great to have you. We'll be looking forward to seeing you, and it's a lot of fun, especially when the tailgaters come out and uh, and and are in force. Our tailgate show uh, on air will uh, start off at five p.m. Eastern time on Friday night. Uh, we will uh, you know obviously we'll get you ready for the game. Uh, we'll get you uh, up to pregame interviews and such. We'll see what's going on at the tailgate, but also that will be our exclusive first announcement of the D3Football.com 2013 All-American team, so uh, you want to catch that. Um, and uh, we are actually helping sponsor the D3 tailgate this year as well. These guys, you know, the the core of them from Bridgewater over the course of most of the past decade have, uh, you know, borne these costs themselves. and. Um, yeah, that just isn't right. Uh, so we're going to, we're uh, chipping in to help sponsor that. So make sure that you come out. Um, if you look on the front page of d3football.com, you will see a little bit more about that. You'll actually see the menu. If, uh, if you're, uh, if you're hungry or if you aren't hungry right now, um, you will be after you read what, uh, what's being worked on right now. And I saw a picture on you know, Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or Pinterest or LinkedIn or YouTube or, uh, blogger. Uh, of some of the uh, some of the pork going in for, uh, to start roasting, so I am uh, I'm already looking forward to that. I'm working real hard to get all of my prep work done, so I have a little bit of time to actually uh, partake of some of those things. So we hope to see you there. Yeah, if if you're still here listening, come out, wear your colors. I mean, if your color's purple, wear that too. But you know, come out and wear your colors. If you're a neutral Division three fan, come out and enjoy the. Uh, Division Three football championship game on what should be a uh, a great day for it, at least uh, as far as the weather forecast looks. So that's the Around the Nation podcast for the week of Monday, December 16th, 2013. For Keith McMillan, I'm Pat Coleman. We'll have two more podcasts, one of them uh, before the game on Thursday, if Keith's going to be down there in time on Thursday, and another one Friday night, late Friday night after the game. It'll be the end of our post-game show and our wrap-up of the 2013 season, and if you have us on your feed through iTunes, you'll get both of those as well. So, thanks for uh, tuning in and listening to everything about Division Three football throughout the course of this season, and let's have one great final week. Woohoo!